This week, Comics in Motion has an excellent offer exclusively for our listeners. TKO Comics is revolutionizing the comic industry. They have creator-owned series from heavy hitters like Garth Ennis, Jeff Lemire, Joshua Desart, Roxanne Gay, and many more. If you go to tkopresents.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the code motion20 at checkout, you'll receive a 20% discount exclusively for Comics in Motion listeners. That's tkopresent.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the promo code motion20. Happy reading. Welcome to Comics on Trial, the show that pits two members of the Comics in Motion family in a geek battle. Each week, one person will defend an unpopular opinion, and the other, representing the common consensus, will prosecute the case in the court of public opinion. The third member of the family will act as judge to decide the winner. This is Comics on Trial. Today, we will be deciding if the 2016 Zack Snyder film, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, is a snifter of finely aged brandy or a slop bucket of bathroom gin. <laughs> Prosecution! Please introduce yourself, sir. Why, thank you, Your Honor. It's great to be here. And my esteemed colleague, of course, I can't wait to get our teeth into it. I do just have to take slight issue. I, I do think it's Batman v. Superman. Excuse me. Versus. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition. One lesson lesson that I've never learned, Your Honor, is that it's different to be smart than to be a smart ass. So I appreciate (laughs) that might not have painted me in the best light, but uh, just thought I'd get that one in there. I appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that, Mr. Prosecution. Defense, introduce yourself, sir. Judge Farina, my honourable opponent, Mr. Dave Horrocks, and members of the jury, wherever you may be, uh, great to be here. It's me, Max Byrne, here to defend a film that is very close to my heart. Well, I appreciate you both for starting off um, with such with such uh, uh, niceties. I'm sure the fists will be flying here, and we will find <laughs> out who bleeds. Defense, please. Make your opening statement. Or no, we do. Shit, you're going to have to edit that, Dave. Screwed that up already. <laughs> That's all right. Prosecution. <laughs> we'll keep that in. <laughs> Program. Prosecution. Please give us your opening statements. Thank you, Your Honor, my esteemed colleague, ladies and gentlemen, listening in the podcast first. I look forward, Your Honor, to today's case, and I have the utmost confidence that you'll make the right decision. Your Honor, I hold in my hand Exhibit A, a mint condition copy of Action Comics number one, procured from Nicolas Cage himself. <laughs> this 1938 comic book contained the first appearance of the Superman character created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. In the following year, the character of Batman was published in Detective Comics 27. Batman had been created by Bob Kane and the long underappreciated Bill Finger. I refer you to Exhibit B. These, ca- these two characters have been greatly influenced and shaped comic book superheroes to that which we know today. Indeed, they are two of the most recognized comic book characters in popular culture, with only Spider-Man even coming close. If I could be as bold as to say, these pair are comic book royalty. And the debut of both of these characters on the big screen was met with joy, and these were the truly movies to be celebrated. And in 1989, of course, we were all doing a bit of the bat dance. 
bringing together these two superhero titans should have resulted in at least equal but greater celebration, especially when the Trinity is completed with the appearance of Wonder Woman. What we got was a style over substance mishmash of a storyline which required such leaps of faith that even Kalel would not be able to clear in a single bound. The effects of this poor story would not only create a negative perception of the movie itself, but also create ramifications that would ripple for years later. Your Honour, I do not accuse Batman v Superman of being a terrible movie with no single redeemable qualities. I am merely here today as a humble servant of the public opinion to say that Batman v Superman was just a massive disappointment. Wow, bold, bold statement. I think shots have been fired in the courtroom and I'm going to have to check to see if that's allowed in your country. I don't believe that it is. <laughs> they were plastic. Okay. Oh, <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Byrne, the floor is yours. Thank you, Judge. and. All honoured parties gathered and members of the Twitterati out there. All I'd like to say is this, okay? <laughs> I'm not a member of the cult of Snyder, nor do I think that Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, is a perfect film. But that is only because I believe that perfection does not exist. What I do believe, however, is that this film is a love letter to the DC universe. Chock full with symbolism and metaphor, this is as high art as the comic book movie blockbuster gets. As we'll learn tonight, this is so removed from the cookie-cutter template of comic book movies, meaning that some people, craving non-stop spandex-clad smackdowns, cannot appreciate the depth on offer here. Perfect casting, a wonderfully epic score, and several examples of comic book accuracy all go into the virtual melting pot to give us this wonderful film. It's almost operatic in its execution, and only the dumbed-down nature of the general public prevent this film from being in the Smithsonian. And that's all I have to say at this time. Thank you. The defense rests. Wow. Wow, the defense rests. Wait, hold on. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm resting for a minute. <laughs> that was very quick. All right, well, I've got a few notes here, so I'll come to the prosecution. First, I would like to you to respond to the fact that I believe the defense has called you a dummy head. How do you respond, sir? Well, although I, I can't deny that too much, quite honestly. Um, so, so in my own personal case, I, I wear that badge with honor. However, surely everyone cannot be wrong with this. So if you look at, and, and commercials of a movie are not the be all and end all, Fast and Furious. But if we look at Dark Knight, which came out 2008, at a budget of 185 million, it made over $1 billion in 2008. Dark Knight Rises, and not one of my favorites, but that made over a billion dollars as well. Batman v Superman made 873 million. Bringing together these two characters should have been at least greater than just Batman on his own. So, although, you know, the gross public could be uh, dummy heads, <laughs> uh, they've still got money. And they chose not to go those second and third time uh, to what to rewatch that movie. All right, uh, Mr. Byrne, your response to that, sir? Uh, 
Well, yes, I can see uh, Mr. Horrocks's point here, but let me take you back. I watched this film opening night. It was released on Good Friday, and how apropos, because this film was a gift from the gods, if you will. <laughs> Your Honour, I object, because that's going a bit too far. <laughs> But what uh, I will say, sustained. I, I, I will oh, allow. Okay, okay. It was well. I thought it. I thought it was a gift. So we'll we'll leave it there. But what I'd like to say is, Dave's right in that this film made eight hundred and seventy something million dollars. And yes, he's quite right. Also, I'll concede that this film should have cleared a billion and then some easily because of what it was offering up. The concept of, of Batman and Superman together, the two biggest comic book characters of all time. I don't care about bringing Spider-Man into the argument. It's these two are the, are the two biggest. But I think it, it harkens back to my opening point is that this film suffered because of the the poor word of mouth, the, the daft word of mouth. This film, to, to this very day, has the ninth biggest opening worldwide weekend of all time. Ninth biggest. And when you think about the, all the massive films that come out in the four years since this film came out, four and a half years, that's pretty impressive. But its drop-off from the opening weekend to the second weekend was an historic 81.2%, which... um is probably also never been bettered to this day. And to me, it was a hack job, a sabotage job. Um, people, I think, had an agenda <laughs> and didn't want to enjoy this film and were expecting something that they didn't get. And there is no more entitled set of fans in the world. Well, maybe Star Wars fans, but generally speaking, there's no one more entitled than the comic book fan, the comic book fan base, because if things aren't quite as they want it, they get very toxic. And this film, despite blowing the doors open in its first weekend, suffered that huge drop off and didn't quite make that billion because of spoiled people not getting quite what they wanted and shouting it from the rooftops. I think that's the only reason. So, Mr. Horrocks, what do you make of that? The argument that uh, the reason that this movie isn't good, and I believe you you essentially said it was a giant disappointment and you were sad. So does that feed in? Does your opening statement feed in to your opponent's argument that it wasn't that it was bad, it's that it isn't what you wanted, and so because it isn't what you wanted, you're angry? No, I, I think it was just a bad movie. <laughs> So, but if I, if you're on it, if I could refer you to a precedent, there is a precedent set here, and I refer you to the case of Farina versus Phelps over the 2003 Ang Lee Hulk movie. I, I have a vague recollection and, of that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the poor word of mouth is a weak argument of as to why a film do, did so badly. I can't remember who the judge was that day. Huh, but, I don't yeah, know. There we go. Yeah, I refer you to that precedent. And, huh. uh, in law, precedent actually counts for something. So I, it is an interesting point to say that, you know, did the entitled comic book fans just not get something that they want? I kind of agree because as a comic book fan myself, I feel entitled to watch a good movie. And so I was disappointed that I didn't get that. Well, I would like to just hold, just hold for one moment, Mr. Byrne. I'm going to stick with the prosecution for a moment in my follow-up question here. You keep using the word bad. So I feel like we, as, the, as myself as the judge and our listening audience, needs to understand what, is, what does that mean? So 
what, give us a few examples of bad and we'll allow Mr. Byrne to try to refute those. One of the most criminal things that this uh, movie commits. Wow. So it's not just Max, bad. You're saying yeah, absolutely criminal. Wow. Is when you, when you own, when you have the rights, when you uh, can freely use the John Williams score from the 1978 Superman, the movie is to ditch that for some dreary nonsense by Hans Zimmer. I just think the score in this was bland at best. The only standout is when Wonder Woman appears and Wonder Woman's theme, fair dues, that is a good one. But that is uh, 2% of the movie. So there we go. We'll, we'll pick on the okay, score. We'll, go, we'll start with there. Max. I think the score is huge in this film by Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL. Um, despite his ridiculous name, I think he's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. Uh, You're on it. On... We are in agreement there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will down from my impartiality chair and agree. Absurd. Yeah, Move. it is. It Continue, is absurd. sir. Yes, but nevertheless, old Junkie. Um, did a nice job uh, with Hans Zimmer, of course, and I think the score in this is huge. I think it just fit. I think it fits the film very nicely, actually, because this film looks and feels like it's taking place in the real world, despite the fact, yes, there's a man flying around from another planet in a blue, uh, a blue and red suit, and yes, there's a billionaire dressed up like a bat beating the shit out of criminals um, and killing them as well. We'll get to that. Um, the score and the look of the film just it feels like a political potboiler with a superhero backdrop and I think that's why people don't like it because they want every 10 minutes um, two costumed heroes to be throwing each other through buildings and they they don't have that and they they save that the last 30 to 40 minutes of the film is, is basically that ad nauseum but I think the opening Two, two hours of the film <laughs> is this very deft, very well written and beautifully scored um, story and the plot, the Luther's grand arch plot is gradually sort of comes to the boil and when he sort of reveals his hand at the end, I think it's genius. So yeah, I think the score is very nice. I think it works well. It's not OTT. Um, I agree with uh, Mr. Horrocks. The John Williams score is the best to this day and always will be. Of course it is. You can't beat it. But I just think tonally, it perhaps wouldn't have fit with the film. That's my opinion, Your Honor. All right. What do you, what is your, what do you say to that, Mr. Horrocks? I think we could possibly thrash this one to death, but this one is possibly just a, a, a difference of opinion. Personally, I think uh, what I'd say is maybe uh, this isn't actually a Batman v Superman movie. This is a Batman movie. I think Superman has very few lines. In fact, I've got it written down here. He has 42 lines of dialogue in the whole movie. And though, though kind of appearing stoic and thoughtful might be part of his character, it's not my Superman, but might be someone's, I really think this is more about Batman than it is on, on Superman. So I think we, we could probably park the score as just a difference of opinion. I agree. I agree. I, I, I will, uh, we will move on from that. I would like to hear, though, the thought of uh, the point that Max made about um, this being a well-written 
uh, script. So that's one of the things Max is saying is a good thing. And you just keep saying that it's bad. So what do, what do you make to that, Dave, um, that Max's point that, the, that it is well scripted? And uh, are you finding flaw in the actual writing itself? I think the writing itself is quite poor. There are a lot of leaps of logic. I don't really want to go to the... Hold on. Explain yourself. So, So. please, your your concern is there's leaps of logic in a movie about a flying alien. I just want to be clear. Well, can I actually just say that (laughs) I'm a massive fan of the original Superman and the idea of the original Superman and the fact that Krypton was basically just a much more dense planet. So that that's why you got the line about he could leap tall buildings in a single bound. You know, he couldn't actually fly. But of course, as we know, we get more writers. They give him more and more powers and stuff like that. Even amnesia kiss type powers. And, you know, Superman just became, you know, Doctor Strange almost. He he could just do anything, couldn't he? But that that was the original idea of it. So I, I think that is plausible. That someone with a coming from a different gravity could, uh, we got. Well, what was the other guy? The thingy from Mars, John Carter. Yeah, that was a similar thing, wasn't it? He went to Mars, could leap and stuff. Basically, another variation of Superman. So, can I can I just say because I, I <laughs> there is a massive uh, bit of poor writing, but I want to save that until we get right into it. Mm-hmm. Can we what? start at the start of the movie where? Basically, we see the Waynes killed again, right? I do not need to see the Waynes killed at all. I actually, I put this movie on, put the DVD on, and I thought, oh, I've got this wrong. I've put Batman Begins on. It was almost the same, and it was only Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, no, no, it is this one. And I just think that when Zack Snyder shoots a movie or whoever Whoever he hires to do the cinematography, it looks fantastic. If I could get, you know, the Harry Potter style moving artwork and just stick it on the wall, it would be Zack Snyder stuff. And actually, for the record, Your Honor, I want to just say that I don't lay the problems of this movie all at Zack Snyder's feet. I know Zack Snyder had uh, a plan for five movies and basically Warner Brothers just cut it all out. And I think it's unfortunately this film by committee that we've got has a lot to be uh, has a lot to answer for but essentially we get this uh you know this scene with the with the waynes and then you know uh we get we get the shot and although the pearls i just mentioned the pearls right the guy is trying to rob them (laughs) so he could obviously sell those for a few quid that's that's his game isn't it but no we he somehow gets his gun underneath the pearls right in Martha's face to fire off the shot. And it looks beautiful. But Christ, you're thinking, how has he done that? And why has he done that? He's just wrecked his pearl necklace. What is he doing? So unfortunately, Your Honor, I am burdened by logic and the real world. And and again, I, I'll take uh, my good friend's and uh, defense attorney there, I take your point that it looks in the real world. I don't think it does look real world. I thought Dark Knight looked in the real world. I think this looks like it's in a Zack Snyder world where all the color is just drained out of it. Mr. Byrne, jump in, please. I agree with the opening scene. That doesn't look real world because it's incredibly stylized and it's in slow motion and 
bibbidi bobbidi boo but i think i was when i said the film looked like it was in the real world i was talking about the main body of the film the way it's shot the way people talk the way it's framed it looks very real to me it, that's just my own opinion um as opposed to this opening shot with the the waynes being killed again um i do somewhat agree that it's a story that's been told to death much like the sort of Spider-Man being bit by the spider or, you know, <laughs> Kal-El being rocketed off from Krypton. But I, they don't dwell on it too much. I mean, it is literally just a one-minute scene. You don't get um, a montage of Bruce and his family going to the opera or seeing his childhood. It's literally just a, a quick two-minute spell, and then you're into the action, which is the end, essentially the end of Man of Steel, but told from Bruce Wayne's perspective on the street level, which I think is... Um, a masterfully done piece of work actually because one of the main complaints that people moan on about about Man of Steel is the end of that film the huge climactic fight with Superman and Zod and the way the city completely gets destroyed and the buildings are going down left right and center and obviously hundreds of people are going to get killed and there just seems to be no uh, consequence of that well here you go this film directly deals with the consequences of it doesn't it it's all there um the the public distrust of Superman, um, and obviously that fuels uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman, his own distrust of, of Superman. I think that opening scene of him driving through the city um, while destruction reigns from on high, I think that's absolutely brilliant. I think that's one of the highlights of the film, in my opinion. Yes, the opening scene is kind of redundant with his parents being killed, but it's a nice little nod, I suppose. And, you know, you get to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan, which is never a bad thing. He's always good value, even though he's in it for about 30 seconds but um i've got not, I'm not <laughs> maggie gonna, maggie yeah. from the walking dead as well yeah 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 together yeah um as thomas and martha that's quite a nice little touch maybe we'll see him again who knows and flashpoint you never know um but it's it's not essential but i still think it's quite well done it's quite quite tastefully done either it's not gratuitous um the the camera doesn't pan on to them being shot you kind of see the gun being fired off shots off the gun being fired but you don't see the result that's off screen so i think it's quite tastefully executed really i've not got a huge problem with it can i just point out your honor man of steel is not on trial today yes but however however though as as i will i will uh rule here just briefly that that the argument was that you said that it was bad writing and what max was suggesting was and you even admitted yourself uh mr prosecution that this was part of a wider um universe that Zack snyder was creating that was a five film story which man of steel kicked off so if this is the sequel to man of steel it's it's literally picking up where that left off so i think that was um I, so i'm gonna allow the man of steel reference but i but i agree with you that we're not here to to talk about man of steel and um zod's tight pants i understand okay <laughs> that's that's fine all i'm saying is that this 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 film directly deals with the aftermath of said film man of steel and it mystifies me to this day that people are clamoring every time there's a, a comic-con coming up or the recent dc fandom all your fanboys are going oh please announce man of steel too we need it you know there are all ones clamoring for it now with the rumor that henry cavill signed a new deal but to me this is man of steel too um, it's a direct follow-on from Man of Steel. It's got all the supporting cast members still there from the first one. It directly follows on with the consequences of the finale of Man of Steel. 
I take Dave's point that it's more a Batman movie than a Superman movie, but how this cannot be seen as a direct sequel to Man of Steel and essentially a Man of Steel 2, I do not know. But that was an aside. I'll ask for my own record, uh, uh, my own <laughs> statement to be stricken from the record, but I kind of agree. I, I, although it's, it's a continuation of the story, isn't it? It's not, yeah. it's not Man of Steel because I do think, I do feel that Batman is the central character, but it's kind of like the other superhero ensemble movies, isn't it? It's a continuation of an overall story. Um, but uh, yeah, I just don't feel like Superman got enough screen time. Can I just say the, obviously that, that opening scene, cinematically beautiful. And the fact that you've got Bruce Wayne kind of running right into the danger, he's not got his bat suit or on or anything, but he is being an absolute hero. That is absolutely one of the highlights of the movie. Um, I don't know where he gets his super sight from. Where you know he looks far off into the distance, and he can actually see that it's Superman and Zod in amongst all of these meteoroids and and what have you. But but no, that was a phenomenal piece. It He's is. a billionaire. He could have met those magic contacts we've all been waiting for. We have no idea. That could <laughs> that could be okay. Well, let's go back to the. We're talking about the plot though. So so Dave is saying there's plot holes. Uh, Max is saying it's it's well scripted. So I would like to ask Max, as you're defending this, mm-hmm. is there a particular scene? Because I know Dave's already acknowledged he's got something he's going to drop on us, um, drop on us uh, soon. <laughs> so Max, if, I would, before he does that and maybe obliterates us with his heat heat vision, uh, what what are some scenes from the movie that you think um, exemplify your claim that it is a well scripted, well written film? Give me a few examples. Um, I can give you several examples. I think the dialogue is is very well written. I think the characters feel quite consistent with what I would expect them to be. I think I think the exchanges between Bruce Wayne and Alfred are absolutely priceless. I mean, for a film that's pretty humorless, there's hardly any levity in this film, which is quite right because I think this is a serious film. It shouldn't have quips of plenty Avenger style. But there are one or two zingers from Jeremy Irons as Alfred in here. I think they're quite nicely done and quite tasteful, very funny. Um, I think the exchanges between Bruce Wayne and Diana when he meets her twice before the eventual reveal is that she's one. Well, it wasn't a reveal because everyone knew from the trailers, but obviously within the context of the film, it was a reveal. But the, the two times he meets her at the different functions, the repartee between the two of them is really good. I like that. Um and I also like Lex Luthor's stuff in there. And I know probably Dave will, uh, this will be one of the bullets <laughs> in his chamber that he's ready to shoot. Um, one of the things that everyone jumps on in so this So what film you're doing is, is you're moving in front of the weapon is what you're saying right now, Mac. You're just- I am, yeah. I'm preempting okay. the bullet. But you know, everyone likes to sort of knock Jesse Eisenberg's performance and indeed Jesse Eisenberg's casting as Lex Luthor. Um, I suppose we'll get to casting and performances later. But in terms of the dialogue, I think it's really well done. I think they really managed to convey his sort of traumatized childhood and some of the things he says and when referring to his past and his father and the way he was treated by his father in, the, in, in his childhood, I think that's really quite good. Helps to sort of semi-humanize a monstrous character. I think the stuff he does with Holly Hunter is really good. 
Um, the Perry White stuff in the Daily Planet feels pretty natural. Not, you know, Lawrence Fishburne's not always the most subtle of actors, but I think um, he avoids grandstanding as Perry White. And I think the scenes where he's being Perry White in the Daily Planet are really cool. I think the way he, he sort of keeps Clark on a tight leash is good. Um, I think it's very well written film. The da- dialogue feels naturalistic. You know, it's not that kind of oh, not OTT because that would be quite disingenuous. But kind of the 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 Marvel template is you know jokes, 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 which is fine because it suits the kind of tone they're going for. And I'm not here to knock the Marvel films. Yeah, because anymore. genocide um, is hysterical. You're right. That's a good yeah, time. That's a good exactly, time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. T he he. You know. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. okay. but no, it, you know, it's this is they're dealing with some heavy subjects in this film. They're dealing with the aftermath of one of, you know, uh, one of the biggest sort of disasters in in that fictional world's history with the Battle of Metropolis from Man of Steel. They're still dealing with with that aftermath. They're dealing with, um, you know, can this this alien god be trusted? And what is good as well is that they use real. Uh, people don't they and the various sort of news um, program out uh, clippings that are in the film where they cut to like uh, they might be Larry King or John Stewart and one or two other is it Charlie Rose is that the guy's yeah, name and, and, yeah Charlie Rose um, and they have them playing themselves doing like mock versions of their show discussing the, the sort of Superman issue you know so that it just again it just adds another layer of making the, the writing feel like you're in the real world so so clearly this borrows heavily from dark knight returns doesn't it the the themes that are in there and and you know even mm. in there you've got the um shots from tv presenters you know talking about you know or debating about whether superman is is a good thing or a bad thing mm. can we start off with lois in the middle east somewhere yeah and you know she uh it's all a ruse so uh we get jimmy don't we he's actually uh um, not just a photographer he's working for the cia it seems um then there's some undercover guys and actually they uh assassinate everyone with these bullets and then they make it look as if it's superman so they they're coaxing superman to come to this place to save lois but to kind of make it look like it's it's a massacre, okay? This is in the Middle East. So, A, if Superman's got this kind of, this sixth sense, there might be an explanation for this as to why he knows exactly where Lois is at this time. Why does he leave it for, you know, right the last second to actually save her, apart from just forced drama? <laughs> and then... You know, when he takes out the guy, there is no way he hasn't killed that guy as well. So, you know, obviously the guy has uh, got Lois at gunpoint. So, you know, clearly human life doesn't mean quite as much when Lois is concerned. But he absolutely plows this guy at super speed through a brick wall. <laughs> there is no way that guy is not a smudge, you know, a little red smudge on those bricks. So, but anyway, can you explain to me, and this is a genuine question, I see. So how is it that he knows where Lois is and then just turns up just in the nick of time? And also, in fact, I've got three points here. So turns up in the nick of time. Uh, the courts in the US suddenly have an interest in Middle East politics and want to put 
Superman on trial for that. Um, and I forgot my third point. But the first two will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it, well, it stands to reason that he wouldn't know Lois was there because let's not forget they're together and they live together as a couple. And In America. Yes, but surely if Lois was going away on assignment, her live-in lover slash fiancé, whatever the... Oh, no, I suppose by the end of the film, you reveal he was going to propose to her, wasn't he? Um, Soon-to-be fiancé then. She would at least say, oh, I'm going to be out of town for a few days. By the way, here's where I'm going. So perhaps he would know where she was. Um, But not only that, let's not forget he is Superman, so he would be able to hear you know, he would be able to sort of, like they do in a lot of Superman films, he would sort of hover into outer space and, and glimpse down at the planet and listen out for her, you know. Or maybe, you know, there'll be something like that. You could easily sort of make up a, a plausible explanation as to why he, he would He know took him. his sweet time about it then, didn't he? Well, I suppose he probably, he probably wanted to sort of keep his distance because they probably have an <laughs> understanding that he doesn't interfere in her work, you know. Uh, she's this sort of intrepid fearless reporter isn't it so you probably trust that she would um, be able to look after herself and who knows maybe he was busy getting a cat out of a tree on the other side of the world <laughs> or something like that you know he can't be too even the man of steel can't be in two places at once let's not forget so that but, is that is a that is a point that you could absolutely play on isn't it like it, for me in a better way because he's not making any choice there he's just he's turning up in the nick of time mm. you know 1940s serial style and, and saving the day that is how you can get superman though isn't it where he has to make a choice he can't be everywhere at the same time yeah yeah so i'll kind of concede that point even though it wasn't made in the movie like i said sometimes you have to just trust the trust the viewers to sort of follow that and come to their own conclusions you know but that's so that's superman's weak spot this let's not forget she's not some random woman this is the love of his life and all of us given a choice would save our other halves or our you know, nearest and dearest, as opposed to doing something else, we'd all make that choice. And he's no different. You know, he's not going to let the woman he loves die at the expense of doing something else. And in terms of putting that African fella through the wall, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe he survived because you just think, because <laughs> no, right? Listen, I'm sorry, I have to step in. No, I have because, to step in. no because Superman. Let's, let's just get real for a second. Superman. <laughs> Superman goes through that wall as well, let's not forget. He doesn't throw the guy through the wall. Superman flies through the wall holding the guy. Yeah? So he could have been holding on to the guy, sort of gripping him under his cape or something, and flown through the wall and took the hit through the wall himself, and then taken that man off to the to the Hague or something to be tried for war crimes or whatever his his um <laughs> His guilt was. So it's plausible he could have survived because I refuse to believe that Superman would have killed him because, you know, he's not going to kill any person, is he, by by choice anyway, unless he has to. So I suppose he would have been a bit peeved at the guy for having his beloved at gunpoint, but um, he could have survived. We'll never know, I guess. I'll just say where there's blame, there's a claim, and I'm sure he'll be putting in his uh, his case. But I, I think, so... Again, the court, the American courts. To take be an fair, interest. I'm going to I'm going to uh, interrupt. That's yep. not a court. That's the United States Senate. Okay. So they're I am different. Not, they're not doing, one. Yeah, they're doing okay. a they're doing a hearing there, but it still is. So they so 
um, the Holly Hunter character could, in theory, and I don't know that we know enough, she could be seeing the um, the Senate Committee on Foreign Affairs, which is a thing. So they would have um, hearings. So it's not, they definitely made it look like it was a courtroom. But just so, uh, unlike this courtroom, which is highly professional and obviously a courtroom where the ruling <laughs> okay. will stand... I'm That's- getting flashbacks of uh, last week's Phantom Menace taxation of trade routes uh, discussion. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I just wanted to. I understand your point, and that is definitely what it looks like. But just as the American, I know the answer to that. That's not what it that, was supposed to be. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so, um, so again, it, it's a genuine question. So, why, when we see all these people slaughtered, and if this guy survived, surely he would have been able to testify and say that actually it wasn't Superman. These bunch of douchebags just started shooting all my men. So I can only conclude that this guy must have bought it as well because he wasn't available to be interviewed. Mm. Um, So why, after shooting everyone with all these bullets, would they think it was Superman? Because he wouldn't have to shoot anyone. Well, let's not forget, they actually then... um incinerated them didn't they he the guy got his um flamethrower on which he must like because he was going to use that on martha at the end of the film but he does he they sort of gather the bodies up into a pile and he flamethrowers them to i guess to make it look as though they've been incinerated by superman's heat vision i'm not entirely sure but uh maybe you're right to be fair i would like to i would like to and i know it's not my, i'm here to to judge fairly but i would like to ask max this question since we're since we're on this part of the film um those bullets are supposed to be some nth metal thing that was made by the metal men um they can go through everything but lois's notebook stopped it so could you could you <laughs> talk about that just for a second um Oh, Why, got... thank you, Ronna. I'm sorry. That's, that's, <laughs> this is a conspiracy. This is a conspiracy. I'm sorry. Um, well, uh, you know, uh, may, maybe Superman made it for her out of some Kryptonian parchment or something like that, so she'd never have to worry about it. You know, I guess as a sort of world-traveling reporter in some hot spot, she would have to worry about a, a notebook sort of, you know, withering <laughs> under the sun or... <laughs> You know, being ruined yeah. by, you know, tsunamis and what have you. So maybe it was made from Kryptonian stuff, or maybe he made the um, the binding of the book in like some <laughs> some indestructible material yeah, that he found I'll on allow, another planet. I'll allow that. I don't it's, know. It's, it's, I, I don't. Come on. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Right. Let's face it. It's not, it's not the first time the someone's someone. Uh, it's not the first time a book has stopped a bullet, is it? That's a, a, no, a well-worn that's... trope in films. You know, people with a, a Bible in the breast pocket and they get shot, and it saves their life and what have you. It's not the first time, nor will it be the last. That's fair. That's fair. I just, I've got one for you later too, Dave. So just be prepared. Yeah, no worries. I'm no worries. In, so... I'm stepping in. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> move. Let's move out of the desert because I feel like we must. So those were Max's examples of what was good about the writing what was good about the plot the writing uh was excellent he 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 has made a strong case for the dialogue being good um and dave you've said you have a massive plot hole a massive problem later in the film you'd like to address so let's let's jump to that uh, so i guess okay so your honor and and i have watched you know both cuts of this so i was disappointed by the first theatrical cut i was disappointed by the ultimate cut as well although i think the ultimate cut spends even more time with batman and making it even more of a batman movie and not a superman movie 
I spend two hours, okay, going into the psyche of Bruce Wayne, and he is haunted. And let's face it, this is reflected in the comics as well. It's a genuine concern of Bruce's. This alliance that he has with Superman is always a little bit uneasy because if Superman just has a bad day, then if he turns, what could we actually do about it? So I think it's a valid concern. But to spend the amount of time that we spent with the character and trying to understand, and in the theatrical cut, they didn't really do a good job of explaining that whole dream sequence where, you know, the world's being overtaken by Superman soldiers kind of thing. And I think the ultimate cut did do that a little bit better. But we spend a, a very long time understanding why would Bruce Wayne want to take down Superman and he's training and you know we get cracking training montages and again another kind of good bit of the movie I would think you know doing a bit of bench pressing to take out the Man of Steel okay you know whatever but we get to it and we get to the moment so despite this you know uh, superhero showdown and we always have a bit of a superhero smackdown don't we which which is from a bit of a misunderstanding but my problem is that we spend so long really understanding why he wants to take out Superman to just literally stop in his tracks because his mum's got the same name. <laughs> I I just I I on a you're on a I, I was dumbfounded then. And each time I watch the movie, because I do think, you know, there are redeemable scenes out of this. There are good moments in it. I just don't think end-to-end it's a good movie. Every time I'm just dumbfounded <laughs> that it just seems like the most laziest piece of writing in the world to me. Well, I and, would like to, I'm going to interrupt yeah. for just a second because this is my question to you that is the, my zinger to you. You began uh, your opening statements, I don't know if you remember, by telling us, how the source material was perfect, pretty much. You waxed poetic about Bill Finger and and Bob Kane, mm-hmm, and Jerry mm-hmm. and Simon. Um, did they or did they not name both of their mothers Martha? So you are stating the source material as near perfection, and your biggest complaint is that the source material is wrong. Your Honor, I would respectfully point out, I'm not saying that that <laughs> the problem is with their names being the oh, same. Oh, fair. Okay. I'm saying that, that Batman is on such a mission to rid himself. I think his words were something like, if there is even a 1% chance that we, then we have to take it as an absolute certainty that this can happen. He is on a mission. He, he, is, he is prepared to you know, take all of that previous superhero lifestyle that he's led for all those years. Because this is an older, more grizzled Batman, isn't it? He's done the rounds. He, he's, and I will say, you know, Ben, ben Affleck, my favorite Batman. But anyway, putting that to the side. <laughs> oh, um, cool. Yeah. So, so he's he's gone to the edge. You know, he has to take this guy out for the good of humanity, and he's prepared to sacrifice himself for that. But then on a dime, it's like, oh, your mum's name's Martha too. Oh, let's be bros. Let's team up. I just don't buy it. And it is insanely lazy writing for me. Okay, Mr. Byrne, please address the Martha in the room. Okay, okay. I, I do think that the scene isn't done with a lot of 
nuance and I think that, yes, I'll admit Zack Snyder's strength isn't sort of the minutiae of the human condition and nuanced, sort of deft um, back and forth. He is a visual stylist and can frame action like there's no tomorrow. Um, But I don't think the scene is as bad as a lot of people like to sort of mock and have used as sort of mine a lot of comedy gold over the last four years, right? I think it's less the fact that the mothers are the same name, more the fact that it jolts Batman back to some shred of humanity. So let's go back to what Dave said there. Yes, uh, this is a Batman that's been around. I mean, he says in the film, he says 20 years, 20 years in Gotham, Alfred, how many many people um, stayed good? So he's been doing this 20 years. That's a long time. So in that 20 years, he's seen the worst of humanity live you know trying to clean up a city like gotham where the worst of the worst live and even says um i think in one of the change of dialogue he says criminals are like weeds alfred remove one and another just grows in its place so he's pretty jaded he's seen the worst that the world has to offer and he feels like it's got him nowhere and now he sees this the game's changed. And again, Alfred says, you know, the world's not as simple as it used to be. Um, the gods now come throwing thunder from uh, fire from the sky or something like that. So how Bruce Wayne sees it, Batman sees it. Um, and it ties into the opening scene as well. He, he sees the destruction that Superman's caused. I don't think it's so much that he hates Superman. Um, I think it's the fact that he's scared of what, the world could could happen to the world and obviously it's done in a slightly ham-fisted way and i think time will be kinder to that when we get to see the snyder cut next year it ties into the vision of the future that he had and the time traveling barry allen who comes back to warn him about superman so i think that gives him the final spur he needs um so that explains a bit about why he wants to take Superman out. But in terms of the Martha scene, I'll go back to the point I was I was trying to make before I went off on a tangent. It's not so much the fact that he goes, oh, God, your mum's got the same name as mine. Oh, let's, let's put this childish spat to one side. It's more the fact that he's been that hell-bent on basically destroying Superman and he's sort of shed his own humanity and, you know, done some pretty bad things during the course of the film, killed quite a few people. I mean, they were all scum and low life. They deserved it. But nevertheless, he still kills quite a few people in the film. And at that moment, he's ready to uh, essentially murder Superman. He's he's beaten him in, in the fight, and he's which is a brilliant fight, by the way. And he's just about to finish him off with a spear. And then obviously he says, save Martha. And then Lois appears just in the just in the nick of time, so that kind of mirrors Superman turning up <laughs> just in the nick of time <laughs> um, at the start of the film to save her. But it's it's more the fact that it pulls him back from the precipice. He's fallen that far. He's willing to take that step over the line and kill people. And he just sees Superman as a alien menace, an alien god that if he doesn't do something about he's going to take over the world. He's seen the future. And let's not forget as well, Luther's manipulated both of them from the start to get to that point. Um, So it's more the fact that he realizes that Superman's uh, not a human, because obviously he's not a human, but he's he's a de facto human. He's not an alien um, god, so to speak. He's a a person. He's, He's got a family that love him, and he's got a, 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 a girlfriend that's there to try and protect him as well. So I just don't think it's purely about the fact that 
your mum's name is the same as mine. I think it's more that it jolts him back from where he's about to go. I think. I think. But yeah, I agree. It's not done in a very subtle way, and I can see why people like to laugh at it because there is. A, I remember when I went to see it at the cinema on the aforementioned Good Friday. There was one or two sniggers from the packed house. Um, not from me. I thought it was. I thought it was a beautiful moment. But um, <laughs> but but, um, but yeah, it, it's not done in in the um, most subtle way. But I think people need to see the bigger picture sometimes. I think I've got. I've got to say, I don't think Henry Cavill's performance in that moment helps. <laughs> the, the way he's kind of like save Martha. <laughs> I know he's supposed to be stood on his neck, but it's just comical the way he delivers it. And uh, but but I can get I. So so again, I, we've called out Zack Snyder there, and I do think he takes a lot of the stick. And as the director, he kind of takes accountability for mm. everything that ends up in the final version. But the actual credited writers are um, David S. Goyer, one of my favorites, and uh, Chris <laughs> Terrio. Yeah. Now, David S. Goyer, responsible on one of his highlights, obviously he was uh, very Blade. involved in the Blade, yeah, mm-hmm. in the Blade uh, trilogy. Uh, also Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. You know, I think David S. Goyer is one of those guys that just continues to fall upwards. Uh, the other guy, Chris Terrio, is responsible for um, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. So I think the essence of what Snyder is going for is, you know, ultimately we have a superhero smackdown, something snaps Batman back into, uh, you know, brings him back to his senses and he realizes that uh, this is not, you know, someone who's going to enslave humanity and like, hey, we should team up. We've seen it a million times in comics, haven't we? You know, this Mm. misunderstanding between comic book characters. I can get behind that. The essence of it, just the, the actual dialogue, the writing, the execution is just poor. Mr. Byrne, would you care to respond? Would you care to defend? I mean, they were not here to defend David Goyer, and I don't know that that is a show that will ever appear on this feed. <laughs> However, I'm giving you the opportunity of this moment because his name is obviously attached to this project. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, in fairness to Chris Terrio, he also, I think, wrote the script for Argo, which was an Oscar-winning movie. So he has got some track record of good stuff, you know, forgetting his um, Rise of Skywalker debacle. But I think it's... I, sorry, we, are we still referring back to the Martha scene here? Are we referring well, back that's to... Well, that's right. This was Dave, Dave's response yep. to your, your defense of the Martha theme, the, uh, scene was... Um, that it's not necessarily that it was, you know, Snyder shouldn't necessarily take the blame, but that it was no. just, it was poorly, it was a poor decision. Uh, Dave suggesting that that was a poor way to get. I believe, Dave, you're you're conceding the point that Max is suggesting that Bruce lost his humanity and they needed a way to get it back. Your Absolutely. argument is Martha is the wrong way to do it. And it links back to that point I was making originally, that the writing is poor. The writing so is the poor. Pl- the plotting is fine. The idea that, you know, at some point Batman snaps back into it and he's like, right, let's team up and, you know, take down a, let's, um, yeah, split up and and, uh, take down a a bigger threat. That works. That is a plot. But when I'm referring to the writing, I'm talking about everything. I'm down to the individual scenes, down to the dialogue as well. 
Oh, okay. Um, well, like I said in my previous section, yes, I, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I agree that that particular moment isn't handled with the deafness and graceness that you would hope for. Um, but I think generally speaking, as I've already said, I think the writing in the film is really good. Um, and I think it works well with the the tone that the film's going for. I think it's okay. I like the Luther snappy dialogue. I like the way that Batman, um, sorry, as Bruce Wayne, the way he conducts himself. I think it's all done very well. I think it's quite consistent as well. It's not a mishmash of tones. They don't go from this heavy subject matter to a more jokey scene with, uh, you know, bit of levity and it's it's very few and far between so i i've got not got a problem with the writing whatsoever in this film um like i said i do understand why people don't like that scene um and i can fully understand why and i don't mock people for mocking the scene if that makes sense i think it's i think it's fair game to be honest with you i really do but yes they could have found another way to pull him back at that moment than him asking him to save his mum um, but, you know, he could have just said, you know, save my mother or something like that rather than save Martha. Um, and then no one would have even thought about the fact that, oh, you know, we're only friends because our, our mothers have the same name. You know, if he'd have just said, oh, save my mother, Luther's got her or something, then he would have gone, oh, you know. So, the, yeah, they could have they could have changed the um, the verbiage used, but I think tonally it's just fine. I, I- do have to say it's not really a point that I'm making. Well, is it just a point of information? So the tone I think does flip flop a little bit. It doesn't go. For, it's not like a Joss Whedon Justice League where it goes from very dark to jokey. But it's um, when Lex Luthor is confronting Superman and he's got the pictures of Martha. I think that is tremendously dark. If you look at those Polaroids, and she's got like witch carved, not carved into a forehead, but written on a forehead. I think mm. those are phenomenally dark, mm. uh, darker than the rest of the movie. Now, I'm not saying that is a bad thing, which like I was saying, I wasn't making a point of it. But yeah, every time I see that, I think, fucking hell, that's, that's not good. All right. Well, let's let's get to our final the final thing I have on my list here that I feel like we must defend. Is you were Dave, <clears throat> and I'll come to you because you just brought up Jesse Eisenberg and Max has has acknowledged the um, contentiousness that's out in the Twitter sphere about Jesse Eisenberg's casting of Lex Luthor. Um, and I feel like before we get into our closing statements, we have to spend just a couple of minutes on performances, uh, but specifically Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, so for me, this performance, and I don't know, is this the direction that he's given? I, I'm not sure, or is it the casting, or is it a mishmash of all of those things? But for me, this is Jesse Eisenberg playing Mark Zuckerberg, doing an impression of Jesse Eisenberg, pretending to be Lex Luthor. I, I just... <laughs> wow. I, I think this is kind of, you know, I can see what they're going for, but I just can't I can't separate myself, and this might add to Max's original point of entire comic book fans, but for me, <laughs> you know, the reason Lex Luthor is a match for Superman is because of his intellect. He's not this groovy little, you know, uh, uh, recent Salt Lake City entrepreneur. Um, you know, I just, I, I did not like his performance. I appreciate that they've, 
been brave and gone for something a bit different. But I just don't buy for one second, really, that he is a he is a match for the Man of Steel. Mr. Byrne. I think it's a very good choice. In, I think it contemporizes the character rather than making him the traditional, you know, bald-headed, middle-aged man in the, in the sharp suit, uh, captain of industry. And I think it, his performance is good. I think it's quite big. It's quite broad. But it kind of fits, I think. I think he gets a really bad rap from people. I think a lot of people like to shit on his performance. But I don't think there's too much wrong with it. I like the fact that he can go from almost being quite whimsical with the things he said to looking at the same time like he's a, like a serial killer with you know some of the things he comes out with and some of the looks he gives. The men, He's able to convey quite a good sense of menace as well when he's dealing with Holly Hunter's senator, Senator Finch, I think she's called. Um, some of the things he says to her, you genuinely fear for her. And obviously, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you know how things wind up for her being blown up in a jar of piss in the face at the same time. Um, but I think he's quite just fine, to be honest with you. It's not everyone's cup of tea. And, you know, people expect Lex Luthor to be a certain way. And and I suppose if we get to see him again down the line, you might get the way the film ends and the, the, the brief bit we saw of him at the end tail end of Justice League and I think we'll get to see more of him in the Snyder Cut of Justice League by all accounts I think by that by end you get that journey to the more traditional Lex Luthor with you know the 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 bald head and the more iconic look so I've not got a problem with Jesse Eisenberg's performance in this film at all in fact I've not got a problem with anyone's performance in this film I think people like to obviously pick holes with the film and, and Dave has in a very constructive way picked a lot of holes in, in the film. But one thing Dave hasn't really criticised and people don't tend to criticise when they are criticised in this film is the performance of the cast. I think that generally speaking, the cast in this film is spawn. Um, again, Dave said earlier, Ben Affleck, his favourite Batman. Well, guess what? He's mine too. I think he's absolutely pitch perfect i think he's the most screen accurate batman there's ever been um you know i think jeremy irons as alfred is absolutely brilliant the banter and the the back and forth between them and his his version of alfred uh, as a more of a sort of man of action alfred than the sort of genteel butler in the tuxedo i think is superb um cavill might not be the most nuanced versatile actor in the world but he looks like <laughs> superman well, that's He's just it, right? It. They found somebody who looks exactly like Superman, and they're yeah. like, "You be Superman." We don't. Yeah. Oh shit! You have to also be Clark Kent. Damn yeah, it. just say right. And right. again, I'm not going to make a massive point of this, yeah. but they've literally, when Superman's dead, they've got a newspaper cutting, and they've got Clark Kent missing, mm. and it's basically Henry Cavill in glasses. He looks nothing. <laughs> he's just Superman. Again, I always make the point of saying how Christopher Reeve genuinely looks different as as, uh, Clark Kent, but the fact that no one can put two and two together, it just makes me laugh. I'm not making a big point of that, but it did make me chuckle on this (laughs) rewatch. I agree. There's not his, his Superman and his Clark Kent don't seem like two different personas. Um, He's just one wears glasses and wears everyday clothes and the other wears a Superman suit and, acts like a superhero and has nicely burl creamed hair. There's not a massive shift between the two and I completely agree with you on that score actually. You know, 
Christopher Reeve will never be bettered as a live action Superman, yeah. in my opinion. Well, that's, I think we can all agree, as the judge, yeah. I will say, we all agree that the best Clark Kent is Christopher Reeve. Oh. And we can, I would argue, as the judge, and I'm not supposed to argue, that actually Henry Cavill is the best Superman. He looks like Superman. He's what I want Superman to look like. But I also want, as to Dave's point, I want Clark Kent to look different. Yeah. A little. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah. So it's not a, it's not the same hiding in plain sight disguise that you would anticipate, and anyone with half a brain would go fucking out, take your specs off, your super, <laughs> your Superman mate. Um, but um, he's the physical, like like uh, Judge Farina said, he is the physical embodiment of Superman. He looks the part. His acting is just fine. He's like I said, I don't think he'll ever be nominated for best actor in his lifetime, but he is just perfectly fine. Uh, I mean, we've not even mentioned the wider casting of this film and what it's meant for the DCU moving out of this film. And let's not forget Snyder cast Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Perfect casting. And her role in this film is is brilliant. One of the most euphoric moments in DC films is her arrival into the final battle as Wonder Woman. It's superb. And that wonderful music that Dave alluded to at the at the top of the show. <laughs> did he? I, I need yeah. to review the tape, but it sounds like well, he did allude to it. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yep. he did. Yes, and and you know, and we got our first glimpse of glimpse of of Momoa's Aquaman that everybody loves. Uh, you know, we get our first glimpse of Ezra Miller's Flash. Who finally they're going to make we, the film, and we can got we our touch first. On that, though? That is the laziest way in the world to set up the, your next team movie. Gal Gadot just stumbles across these files. She goes straight to them, and we see Aquaman, we see Cyborg, we see uh, The Flash. Yeah. What a lazy way to set up your next movie. Well, Bruce Wayne has sent them to her. Let's not forget this, because he, he deliberately sent her those files, because when she nicked the hard drive off him, she gave it back to him saying, I couldn't see it anyway. It was like military-graded decryption on there, but because obviously he's Batman, he can decrypt it. And then he emails it to her with her picture from World War One. Um, granted, it's Luther. not the has got the worst security in the world, hasn't he? So anyone can just wander into his server rooms. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you would probably have like an armed guard on the uh, on the room there when you've got like dozens of people at your house for a, a big soiree like that. You would probably have some armed guards in front of your servers. Ah, but let's not forget, maybe he actually wanted Bruce to... He wanted Bruce to, to get those files. Because let's not forget, the whole machinations of Luthor is that he, he, he knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. He knows that. He says that at the end when Bruce goes to visit him in Arkham as Batman. He, he says something oh, about... He, he clearly He knows. knows he says something before. about, about yeah, Wayne, yeah, yeah. the house of Wayne or something. He knows Clark Kent is Superman. He knows this from the start. Um, so, so, so even before that, he says yeah. uh, at, at the party, he says something like, oh, Clark Kent meets Bruce Wayne. Or the other mm. way around, you know, and he, he shakes Clark's hand and he's like, oh, wouldn't want to pick a fight with this guy. So he obviously knows yeah, who he knows. they are. Yeah. yeah, but the world's greatest detective doesn't. Uh, no. Um, or does, or, or maybe he does. Maybe he's onto that. Or maybe he's onto uh, the fact that Clark is um, Superman when they have that exchange at the party. I mean, Clark will know straight away he's Batman because he can hear on the um, radio that he's speaking to Alfred and he's going to nick yeah, those files. It gives files. up pretty easy though, doesn't he? Well, you know, he? It sort of follows him down and then he's like, 
Oh no! No, he gets he gets taken away, doesn't he? People in Mexico. Yeah, when he he goes past the kitchens, doesn't he? And all the staff in the kitchen are seeing the footage of that fire in Mexico. So he starts unbuttoning his shirt and he goes to fly off because obviously that's slightly more important than seeing what Bruce Wayne. But he could have just taken like a couple of seconds to just grab Bruce Wayne by the scruff of the neck. Oi, I know what you're up to. You know, I need to go and sort something out. Oh God, how cinematic was that? When you got like the. All these kind of Jesus Christ-like uh, images as well that you have, where he's, you have him rescuing people off roofs and stuff, mm. who they've got nothing else other than, you know, some uh, white paint, you know, so they can paint an S just in case he flies by, I guess. You know, it, again, this looks great. It looks cinematic. It looks beautiful. But it's just not believable. Well, at that moment, here's what I'm going to ask the um, my two... Uh, my defendant and my prosecution to you, if you each have a closing remark, we've been at this for some time and I feel, I feel almost ready, I think, to uh, give my verdict, but I would like to give you each a chance to make a closing statement. So we'll do it in reverse order. So prosecution, um, you get to give the, you get to go and Max will get the last word because you got the first word. So prosecution, do you have any closing remarks you'd like to make? Well, uh, not to cut my own legs off, Your Honor, but one of the other highlights, one of the three highlights that I think you have in this movie is when Batman does actually get to take out, uh, get to rescue Martha, we see a phenomenal action scene. Now, I would say that this is very reminiscent of the uh, Arkham Asylum, you know, the Batman type games. So it's nothing new, but on the big screen, I don't think we'd seen that before. So I, I'll concede that point that, you know, that was an amazing scene out of it. You Again, do lose your closing remarks. I know, but, okay. you know, I, in the interest, <laughs> Your Honor, I am a servant to the, the law. And so I, I feel it, you know, because we haven't covered that point, I want to make, Fair. you know, everyone to make the best decision uh, possible. Okay. So again, I just feel like you know the, the score for me was not great. Um, it, it it still remains to me a, a point of contention that that they don't use that original John Williams score. I, I hope that is rectified at some point soon. Uh, again, I think the uh, the length of the movie um, it, it went a long time to show this descent into, you know, borderline madness with Batman. And then he just too quickly, too easily, too cheaply snapped out of it. And so I just don't really buy it. I think the appearance of Gal Gadot was great. I actually really like the Doomsday character and I really like his origin, the way that, you know, he evolved. He kept, you know, these little children kept getting killed off in lots of different ways and he evolved and we got this very cheap way where Lex Luthor suddenly un- understands everything about Kryptonian technology and we get this uh, uh, you know cheapened doomsday I just think again I don't think this is a terrible movie where there are no redeemable qualities of it I just think it, it was a massive disappointment thank you sir Defense. Does the prosecution rest? The prosecution does rest, Your Honor. (laughs) Thank you. Defense, your closing statements. Um, Yes. I'd like to reiterate the points I've been making for the the last hour. In an age where people want what they want and demand things to be uh, exactly as they've always been, how a film that literally lifts 
not just imagery, but actual lines of dialogue wholesale from the pages of The Dark Knight Returns, which is generally revered as always in the sort of top tens and top fives and top threes of greatest graphic novels ever written wholesale and puts them on the screen it gives you um moments from the death of superman and puts them on the screen in the future it gives you sort of a a twisted sort of spin on the injustice video game and puts that on the screen how people can judge this film and say that Snyder doesn't get the characters, that he doesn't get what they're all about, to me is just complete poppycock. It really is. It's complete nonsense. I think this film, whilst I said that my opening statement is not perfect because perfection does not exist, the most revered films of all time, you can always find something in there that you don't particularly um, find amazing, and I'll freely admit that. But I think this film has is artful i think it's really well put together i think as uh, dave's uh, magnanimously admitted in his uh, closing um, remarks there the action scenes the, the the very first time seeing a live action batman fight the way batman fights in all the other iterations that people have loved over the years the keatons the Adam West's, uh, even the Christian, <laughs> even the Christian Bale uh, Dark Knight films. Adam West. We'll, be no, there will be no Adam West in this. Yes. All right. Yeah. The, 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 that is a but, short evolution there. Yes, sir. Continue. Yeah, but, and yes, and even the, the Bale Dark Knight trilogy, which I adore and think is magnificent, even his Batman, you never got to see him fighting in a hand-to-hand style against a legion of villains and, and, and doing it that way. So we got, we were given something we'd never got before. We, you know, we were given um, the first ever cinematic Wonder Woman in this film, which everyone loves um, and was the launching pad for, you know, a franchise that has gone from strength to strength, um, you know, with a blockbuster film and a second one, if it eventually ever gets released, that will no doubt do well as well. You know, it's launched, the Aquaman franchise, it's launched the Flash franchise, um, it's launched Ray Fisher into sort of becoming um, whatever he's become now, um, <laughs> and all the machinations that are going sorry. on there. And I, put, I, and I as, as, an aside, <laughs> as an aside, I completely applaud Ray Fisher for the stance he's taken yes. against everything. And the truth will come out on that, and then we can all judge who's right and who's wrong. So I, I'm, I'm on the side of the truth where that's concerned, but I applaud Ray Fisher's courage and um, everything he stands for and that, and I hope that he gets the outcome he's looking for. Um, but nonetheless, I think this film is, it's, it'll stand the test of time. And as I said earlier, when we get that Snyder Cut of Justice League next year, and hopefully it lives up to the hype of what people are hoping and it's, you know, the film that everyone wants to see, I think revisionist history will make people look back on this film with a fresh pair of eyes and there was things in here that were supposed to pay off at a later date you know that we didn't get to see it because of the abomination the atrocity of cinema that was justice league but that will be rectified and who knows maybe we'll get further adventures in the snyderverse post the snyder cut if you know it's received in the right way you never know but i think time will be kinder to this film than recent history has been and i think Longer term, people will look back on this film more fondly than they do now in this sort of MCU-driven age that we live in. And I just hope that people can um, keep an open mind when voting for this film and 
looking back on it and, you know, taking the positives out of it as opposed to the handful of negatives. I think we can all agree it's better than Justice League. So the defense do you rest, sir? I yes, the defense rests, Your Honor. Coming up, the judge returns with the verb. Ah, comics, ah, try. Okay, well, I have to say that was quite the um this is the most polite courtroom one has ever been into. I believe that um, my first experience here as a on, on the other side of the uh, of the bench, as it were, uh, I had a much more combative opponent. So I would I commend you both uh, for <laughs> fuck uh, you. <laughs> there it is. Here's the spell. Thank you. Oh, love that guy. Okay, so um, <laughs> so. Uh, what I would like to say is this. I feel like there were some excellent points. I have to say, Max, your defense of the Martha, honestly, was the best defense of the Martha I've heard ever. Um, I think you were obviously prepared for it. However, Dave's point, um, as I believe he said it uh, multiple times, I, I should have kept track. The word lazy uh, came up uh, several occasions. and I believe Dave scored plenty of points on the fact that there was a lot of lazy things. And even at the end, when you were both waxing poetic about uh, Wonder Woman's, um, re- uh, you know, appearance, which again, we can all agree was fantastic. It was the exact same scene that had already been done twice. Superman saves Lois, Lois saves Superman, Wonder Woman saves Bruce. So it's the exact same scene. So that plays into Dave's argument that it is kind of lazy. Um, uh, the 81% drop off from week one to week two, um, it didn't work for me, Max, pal. It's not working for you either, man. I tried it too. I know. Um, and and honestly, I don't remember which of you actually brought up the fact that Bruce Wayne, this goes back to the Martha point, Bruce Wayne is the world's greatest detective and he didn't know his mom's name was Martha. But he knows he's Clark Kent. So um, struggled a bit there. But what I would like to say is I, 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 I um, while I went into this, completely open-minded. I do believe that uh, the argument is made um, that uh, it, as it currently stands, the prosecution is, gonna, is going to um, edge out the defense just by a smidge. I think Max's closing argument saying that time will tell whether this, like maybe in 10 years, we'll look back on this fondly. So therefore, um, I'm going to give you a sentence, Max, of time served, and we can officially let Batman v Superman live. Yes, yes. Thank you, Your Honour. Thank you. Dawn of Justice is quite appropriate then because justice has been served, sir. Well, I did, I did, I did actually, you know. Fine for the for the prosecution. I'm just saying. Oh what? <laughs> I, I, I was just I was thinking. Did I have a brain fart? Yeah. <laughs> I, sided with, I sided with Dave, saying he won by just a smidge. But I'm letting you off with time served. You're out. You're you're done. Batman and V Superman. You have let it out of jail. You haven't you haven't uh, cleared its name, but uh, completely like it has a little black mark. But I'm giving you the opportunity to put it on parole as you've done. I think you've 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 freed it, fr- but it's but its record isn't being expunged. It's um it is still being found wanting, 
but it can go free and people can watch it and listen to your eloquent defense of it. And, and I hope that our friends on Twitter will, um, I, I, I feel, I, I have to say, I feel like just my gut, the Twitterverse is going to agree with Max on this. I'm just uh, I, I, so. I hope so. I think release the, the Snyder Cut is going to go I think so. It. I think that's right. Fucking, well, the fucking justice system is broken then. <laughs> if, 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 if that's, if that's hey, your... Well, if that's, to polite, Max. Oh, well, honestly, I, honestly the, the fucking system's broken. I can't believe it. I, I can't believe it. I'm devastated. <laughs> Man, I was all prepared to lose and everything. I had some special granny's peach oh. tea right here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, seriously, it was really, it was very close. And it just came down. There was just that you use the same losing argument that I use, Max, the 81%. And uh, uh, the world's greatest detective thing. That was the thing. The fact that he, I would truly, truly, Max, your, your defense of the name Martha was spectacular. Like, I think Zack Snyder should give you money and you should go on tour explaining the Martha thing. <laughs> um, if you can get around the fact that the world's greatest detective didn't know that his arch enemy's mom's name was Martha going into it, that's the only thing that holds it up. But honestly, truly, I thought that was fantastic. So, so um, gen- genuine question, because I, yeah. I know you two both know a lot more about DC than I do, but... I, I think there's one shot, isn't there, where basically you can see Gotham a metropolis right next to each other. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it doesn't sit right with me that, that they would be that close. And again, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me what happens earlier in the movie where, again, you've got Batman, the world's greatest detective, and he doesn't know, basically, it, it's not even a city away, is it? It's like the next town along, you, you've got Superman, but they don't know about each other. So in the comics and stuff, is there any kind of clues as to where Metropolis and Gotham actually are supposed to be? I've always thought Metropolis is New York and Gotham is Chicago. Yeah, so that that's what I, I've thought. What do you well. say, Max? Yeah, I don't think traditionally they've been depicted as being that close together, like literally across the the bay from each other and a short ferry ride from one to other as depicted in the film. I think that's something different. If Steve were here, he'd be able to yeah, tell Steve us right away, us. wouldn't he? He will tell Steve, us. Steve. Yeah, he'll, he'll know. But he I've will. always thought they were depicted as being further away from each other than they are in this film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've always thought, I, this is the way I always understood it is, Metropolis, New York, Gotham is, um, is Chicago. Uh, Central City is Los Angeles and um, Star City is Seattle. So like, so you've got hmm. your green arrow up there and like uh, Ferris Air um, where, uh, is like San Francisco. So like Northern California, Southern California is the flash green arrows and was in, you know, up in Washington. And then mm-hmm. everybody just says Nebraska can go fuck itself. Apparently they don't get <laughs> sorry. Because <laughs> I, I think the way I'd understood it was Gotham, I think originally was supposed to be New York and then it kind of uh, ended up evolving to be more Chicago. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought, again, didn't use it in my case, but I, I, that jarred with me a little bit that they were Well, so they did close. film it in my home state of Michigan. They filmed it in Detroit because if you need just a city that's falling down on itself, you just go to Detroit <laughs> and build the set. Um, and, and just as a plug, though, the, my former senator of Michigan, she's still the senator of Michigan, but I don't live there anymore. She's the one who played the governor or the mayor of, of Metropolis um, 
where Debbie Stabenow was in there. So you see a shot of her. And I remember sitting in the theater. I was like, holy shit, that was my senator. So because they filmed it in Michigan. So she showed up and got a walk on. So anyway. All right. Well, let's let's end by doing plugs. Defense, please tell everybody a little bit about yourself and where they can find you. Uh, yeah, if you like, you can find me on Twitter at Maxi Byrne, which is spelled M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. You can go there. There's uh, links there to the various websites. Yeah, white, uh, white. <laughs> I uh, write reviews for and various articles, so you can pop along there, have a look. Uh, and obviously then there's links to my uh, own show on this network, Mandatory Marvel in DC. So please check it out and say hi. Excellent. Dave? Well, you can get me on the Comics in Motion TV and movie reviews show and myself and my co-hosts, we go through uh, various uh, movies and TV shows that are based on comic books. And recently, we mu- I must admit, we've had a couple of stinkers. We had Project Power, which was not great. And then we had the long-delayed New Mutants. Uh, I will say that there is a, an article up on fantasticuniverses.com where I write about a little bit about what happened with the movie and also why I kind of loved the source material so much. You can also get me, if you want to reminisce in some older movies, you can get me on the VHS Strikes Back as well. And I, I probably won't plug Love Island. Well, <laughs> the reality cast is your, is your people. There, there could be people. There's people. Chris you know what? It's ridiculous, the amount of emails and reviews that we get for that thing, but uh, people yeah. love it. People do. Yes. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Tricycle Boombox, or you can go to my website, AR Farina, if you want to send me a message if you're not on Twitter. And I too write reviews uh, sometimes for Fantastic Universes, although I've been um, neglecting them. I'm sorry, Steve. And DC Comics News um, as well is where I write reviews for comics over there. So um, thanks again for listening to this week's Comic on Trial. And don't forget to vote in the Twitter poll on at Comics in Motion P. Let us know if you agree with the defense or the prosecution. Um, if you want to get hold of the show and maybe suggest a topic for a debate, please email us at Comics in Motion podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss out on any of the shows in the comics and motion network of which i have a show the indie comic spotlight and max has as he mentioned mandatory marvel in dc and dave and chris with the flagship show as long as as well as the rest of the guys um if you like what you hear please leave us a review on your favorite podcast podcast catcher we really appreciate it so this is the defense max burn and this is the prosecution dave oryx <laughs> And I'm your judge, Tony Farina. (laughs) Join us next week for another Comics on Trial.